Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. This morning, uh, we're going to finish up a chapter four of Jonah. We've been walking through um, the book of Jonah over the last four weeks. There's four chapters in Jonah, and we've hit one chapter for each week, and now we've come to chapter four. And uh, this is the last chapter, and I got I to gotta tell you guys, I'm, uh, I, I woke up a little nervous to talk about uh, some of the things that, that Jonah gets at in this are kind of can be sensitive topics. And um, so I'm, that's just a confession to you guys as, I, as we share in this. What, what God deals with in Jonah also can really get at some of the things, kind of like the nitty-gritty of our hearts. And so um, just as I, um, I read through it, it was really challenging. I just really felt God say, no, like, let's, let's go there. And so um, just a uh, fair warning, we're going we're gonna to go uh, there this morning. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm just here. So, um, so anyways, we're going we're gonna to do that this morning. Um, but the main idea in the book of Jonah that, that we've talked about is that we all have this tendency uh, to run from God. I- in us, we all have this desire for autonomy. You know, we want to be independent. We want to run our own lives. And um, Jonah, when faced with the choice of following God's will into something difficult, and running and doing his own thing, chose to run and do his own thing. And what we see is that God responds to Jonah's disobedience. God responds to his autonomy and corrects it. He confronts it head on. And uh, Jonah thought that if he ran, he would have this freedom. And what he found out is that that freedom of, of being independent, being on your own, being separated from God was a false freedom. That his self-rule led him down a path of false freedom, and God sent this big storm, and soon Jonah found himself thrown into the sea, uh, about to drown. And then as Jonah, Jonah is, is in that situation, he cries out, and God rescues him in that moment. And if you were here last week with us, um, Eric was here um, from uh, CTK Ferndale, and he talked about how God gave Jonah a second chance. After he rescued him, he also restored him as his prophet, and he sends him back to Nineveh, the place he didn't want to go, and he does it, and he obeys. And what's amazing about Jonah's obedience is that he, all he had to do was walk around the city of Nineveh and say eight words, and the whole city repented. Um, it's probably the most effective ministry ever known to mankind. Like, think about if you could just walk around Blaine and just say, hey, CTK Blaine, Sunday's at 10 a.m. CTK Blaine, Sunday's at 10 a.m. And everybody came, right? That's, n- okay. Well, maybe, maybe you don't want, maybe that's just my dream. Um, that's okay. We're warming up. Um, but, but it's like, it, it, all he does is he repeats these eight words. He says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. And this whole city, who has no idea who God is or anything like that, they all get together and they repent. They, they turn back to God, and God relents from the disaster that he was going to send on them. And so as we come to chapter 4, we come to the end of the story. It's sort of a strange turn, because here Jonah's been restored. You know, he's been saved from almost drowning. Uh, he's been restored to his position as prophet, and he has this really effective 
uh, ministry that he's on, and, and everybody turns, but um, when we come to this moment, he's sitting outside east of the city, angry and, and furious at what's happened. He's a frustrated guy in this moment. And so we see Jonah come full circle from self-rule to, to living under God's rule, and then he circles back uh, to self-rule in this moment. Um, and what we see, the Jonah we see in chapter 4 is a defeated Jonah. He's actually been defeated by God's plans. Um, he realizes that God's plans were, uh, were going to go through whether he wanted them to or not. He had his plans, but God's plans won. And maybe you've had a time in your life, uh, like me, where you've been frustrated by defeat. Anybody realize they're in like a, uh, they've been defeated and they're just in sort of a frustrated place with that? Um, when I was growing up, it was just me and my younger brother, Ben. And my younger brother was two and a half years younger than me. And up until my senior year, uh, this is important when there's two brothers in the house, I, I could take him physically. You know, I could take him, like if we got into an argument, I could take him. But then, you know, when he got into eighth and ninth grade, uh, he started to get into Kempo Karate. Like he started to go to karate class. So you can imagine, here I am going to basketball practice, slimming down, and here my brother is going to Kempo Karate, learning how to beat me up. And, um, and one day we got into an argument at our house, and we, we didn't do this a lot, but we started wrestling. And pretty soon he put me in this, like, submission hold that I couldn't get out of. And I didn't know what to do. Like, I couldn't get out of it. So I just got mad and said a few words and stormed off. And that's kind of like what I picture Jonah doing right here. He's like, God's got him in this, like, suplex pin, and he can't really do anything about it. So he's just frustrated. He's just, like, wallowing in, in his frustration. And, um, and so basically that's where we find him. He's just kind of defeated and frustrated. And so we're going to pick up the story here in Jonah 4, verse 1. It says this, um, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He's talking about God rescuing Nineveh, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? It's like, easy, buddy. Slow down. Uh, but you see, Jonah, he's just like, I want to die. You know, he's like my two-and-a-half-year-old. He's just throwing a fit because he couldn't watch a show or something. You know, he's just having this huge meltdown. And he's kind of stuck on himself. He's frustrated that he can't have his own way. But why? Why is Jonah so frustrated that God would show grace on this people? And if you dive in and you read sort of the part that comes after this, you see that the reason that Jonah um, ran was not because he was afraid of Nineveh. It was because he hated them. Like Jonah hated the Ninevites. They were his enemy. And this this sort of confirms it. He said, that's why I went to Tarshish, because I knew that you were gracious and merciful, 
that you were slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that you would relent from disaster. So what that's telling us is that Jonah wanted to see disaster fall on this people, that they were his enemies. And to give some context, context for that, we know that um, Nineveh was sort of this brooding presence uh, to the nation of Israel. Um, they were hated and feared by them. Um, they were a, a pretty brutal empire. We talked before about how they would take over enemies and they would impale people on sticks. They would, um, you know, skin people alive. They would do some brutal, brutal things um, to people. And so you can imagine being from this little country and living in the shadow of this huge, brutal empire, like your heart would become hard towards those people. Your heart would become hard towards these people. It could be like today if, if God called you to go and share the gospel with a terrorist organization. Anybody signing up for that? No. No, they're an existential threat to you, right? Nobody wants to sign up to that, and that's how Jonah saw these people. Jonah didn't see the Ninevites the way that God saw them. He didn't see them as fixable. He didn't see them as redeemable. Um, he saw them as beyond hope. And th this is kind of where it gets to, um, it, you know, gets to sort of a, a, a difficult thing for us is that, you know, he was actually willing to watch their city burn. And um, you could say that, that um, tribalism and racism is really at the core of what Jonah is about here. And I don't use that word lightly, but he had grown, his heart had hardened against a certain group of people. And, you know, I wish I could stand here today and say, you know, we live in a culture and a place that's beyond that sort of thinking. That's beyond alienating people. That's beyond um, racism. Um, but if anything, we see it growing in our world on all sides. Um, this week we had, y you know, this week uh, we had 50 people killed in a mosque shooting in New Zealand. Like when you read that, um, that's shocking. That's horrifying. Um, and, and it's those types of crimes that have become more and more common in our culture. We don't uh, maybe spend as much time in the shock of those things as we have in the past. And it seems like we live in a culture that's actively working to divide groups of people, that's actively working to create division uh, and create hardness of heart with one group against another group. And for us, it might not be um, race or religion. Uh, we see this um, politically. We see in, in, in our politics, um, people are getting more and more polarized. People are, are finding more and more of their identity in their, um, their political beliefs. Um, Mark Sayers, who's sort of a cultural um, analyst, he said that politics has become the new religion of our age. Like, it's like people are, are getting more worked up about politics than about um, their religious faith. And so, <coughs> for us, uh, we might be tempted um, to pursue, um, pursue our political beliefs um, instead of pursuing God uh, passionately. And uh, whether, that, whether we're on the right or the left, you know, both sides um, have become uh, more... Uh, more polarized than ever before. And so for us, you know, if we're in Jonah's situation, it's easy for us to typecast the other side. 
it's easy for us to look at our beliefs and say the other side is unfixable, that the other side is unredeemable. You know, we, we might see, say like, well, you know, we might call them uh, stupid or, or whatever. There's so much um, stuff going back and forth today. And, you know, we as a church, we're not called to be shaped by one political party over another political party. We're called to be shaped by the person of Jesus. We're called to be shaped by following him, by the transformation found in the name of Jesus. We are actually supposed to be this alternate community where our core identity is found in following Christ. Um, Tim Keller said this. He said uh, about, uh, kind of about our, our politics, he said that Jesus was, nev- it was neither a Democrat or a Republican. In fact, he confounded both. He confounded both. He said in terms of grace, he was more liberal than the greatest liberal. But in terms of justice, he was more conservative than the greatest conservative. Jesus transcends our politics. You know, we want to make it about one side over the other when Jesus transcends that. And I think the, the greatest picture we have of that is the cross, right? The greatest picture we have of that is the cross, where Jesus shows us complete grace at the cross, where everyone can come in and be cleansed by the blood of Christ. And he also shows us complete justice, that all of the, uh, the sin wasn't just shoved under the rug, but it was dealt with, with the blood of Christ. It was paid for, and we receive that grace. And so we're supposed to be a transformed people in the grace and truth of Jesus. Thank you for letting me go on this rant. <laughs> um, <laughs> all that to say, don't let your heart get hardened by one um, political ideology over the other. We need to make space to listen. We need to make space to dialogue. And it seems like that space has become less and less. The willingness to engage each other has become less and less. And if we're shaped by Jesus, we can approach things in both grace and truth. And so getting back to Jonah, we see that Jonah's heart was beyond dealing with the Ninevites. It was hard towards the Ninevites. There was no room in his view for them to be changed. Um, He had this fixed mindset. He had this fixed mindset that they were an unredeemable people. And so because he's been defeated, because that idea has been defeated, now he's just kind of raging. He's like, you're a two-and-a-half-year-old. You can't calm down no matter what you do outside of ice cream or something. Um, And that's a bribe, and you shouldn't do that as a parent. Um, I learned that somewhere. (laughs) But Jonah knew what, Jonah was frustrated because he knew what God was all about. He knew about God's grace because he was God's prophet. Um, He quoted the book of Exodus and said, I ran because I knew you were gracious and merciful. And so Jonah knows that God's grace is ultimately greater than any sin that his enemies could commit. And that to him was a scandal. What do you mean they wouldn't have to pay for what they've done? That if they turn to you, what do you mean they wouldn't have to pay for their rebellion? And, and so for, for Jonah, his anger was defeated by God's grace. His plans were defeated by the grace of God, and he's left in this angry place. The good news for us today is we don't have to go to that place that Jonah went to. 
we can actually celebrate the grace of God. Because if you think about it from Nineveh's perspective, they were the last candidate to receive God's grace. And yet God gave it. They were unlikely candidates for God's grace. And so many times we feel like unlikely candidates to receive the grace of God, to do anything for God. Jonah was the last prophet to have any sort of, who, who you would think would have any sort of success, right? He's so angry, he's so bitter, and yet God uses him to have maybe one of the most effective, definitely the most effective, uh, you know, ministries, uh, maybe of all time. I mean, eight words transforms a community. That's, that's pretty cool. But today, as we sort of wrap up this series, I want to share two takeaways about God's grace that I think are really, really important. I think are really, really key for us to grab onto. There's these two realizations that we have in chapter 4 on God's grace that, that we can own. And the first is this, is that God's ability to give grace is greater than your ability to mess things up. Ho- can I get an amen on that? Oh, hey, um, let me say it again. Uh, this is a different slide. Um, I'm going to say it again. God's ability to give grace is greater than your ability to mess things up, which is awesome, right? Um, I, I messed that up, I guess. So, um, But we, um, God's grace is greater than your mess. Any, any, uh, anything you've done can be covered in the grace of God. And Jonah couldn't make a mess big enough that God couldn't fix Jonah tried, right? I mean, he, he was screwing up left and right. He was making messes all over the place with his disobedience, and yet God still redeemed his story. So much so that Jonah wrote this story down at the end, right? Um, you know, but think about what Jonah went through. He r- tried to run to the edge of the known world to get away from God, and God stops him. Uh, when he realizes that God is stopping him, he tries to sleep, and God wakes him up. Uh, then he gives up and he tries to die, and God won't let him. God sends a fish to swallow him and carry him safely to shore. And then he finally gives up and does what God wants, still hoping that it won't work, but yet God's will is accomplished. Like, that must be really, really frustrating. Jonah couldn't mess up big enough to get in the way of God's grace. Jonah couldn't mess, mess up big enough to get in the way of what God wanted to do through him. And, you know, often we, um, we are the ones who discount what God wants to do in us. We are the ones who put limitations on what God can do through us. We, we kind of, you know, that's kind of our control thing. We, we discount ourselves. Um, maybe instead of us viewing other people as unredeemable or unfixable, we look at part of our lives and say, this is unredeemable. This is unfixable. We fall into the trap to think that God could never use us uh, because of those things. I like to think, th- uh, think of those things in terms of, uh, of labels. You know, we put labels from our past uh, on us. You know, I don't know what that labels are for you, um, I, I could say in my past I've had the label of being selfish or, or passive or, or weak. You know, all these things that you don't want in a leader, and yet God is working to redeem. Um, we have these labels that we use as an excuse not to follow God. 
And so think about it for a minute. Are there labels in your life that you carry around from your past? Because it's God's grace that takes away those labels. It's God's grace that redeems those labels. I want to look at Romans 12, 1. It says, By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What I was drawn to was the beginning of that verse, by the mercies of God. We don't move forward on our own strength. We don't move forward in worship on our own strength. We don't move forward as a disciple on our own strength. We move forward by the mercies of God. Um, It's those mercies that allow us to move forward, not getting it right the first time or the second time. you know, when I was coming out of college, I had I was really I was kind of struggling in this job, and I, I got a new boss, and he told me one time he said, "Tyler, you can't mess up big enough. Uh, you can't mess up big enough that we can't fix it. You can't create a mess big. Sorry, I'm totally skewering this. You can't create a mess big enough for us not to be able to fix it." And I was like, "Wow, that's really freeing. I don't know if it's true, but uh, I'll take it." But it was really freeing. I I worked really hard for this boss because I felt safe knowing that, man, even if I tried something and screwed up, I wasn't going to get yelled at, but I was going to get met with grace. We were going to figure it out together. You know, I could work in freedom knowing that as long as I was committed to trying, uh, that we were going to get somewhere. Now, that doesn't mean I could, like, go home, like, cool, all right, well, I'm just going to go home and not do my job. No, I had to stay in the job. You know, grace doesn't say you can just do whatever you want. Like, we have to be transformed by grace. We're not just saved from something. We're saved for something. Um, But but I could try, and I could be 100% committed, knowing even if I screwed up that that, uh, we could figure it out. And I think that's sort of how grace works as we grow as disciples. You know, grace covers us as as we move out. We can try things. We can take steps of faith. And when we screw up, we have this grace uh, to, to keep us going. It allows us to try and fail as a disciple. Anybody here f- afraid to fail? One person, two people, three people, everyone else? You're like, no, I'm good. Yeah, we all have that fear of failure. Like, what if I try something and it doesn't work? What if I step out and God's not there to catch me? Well, that faith is believing that God is going to be there to catch you. Whether, whether what you're putting your hands to is successful or not, God will be there to catch you. It's the same grace that saved you that allows you to keep going. It allows you to grow. You, we don't start with the master plan, um, but we figure it out as we go along. And so my encouragement to you today is try things. Try stuff. What has God put on your heart? Is there something that God is speaking to you that you are just a little afraid to try? And my encouragement to you is try it. Do it. See how God responds. One of my friends says, uh, follow the breadcrumbs. You know, see, see what doors God is opening and, and walk into those and, and see, what, um, see what happens. You know, one of the great things about being a church plant is that we have lots of opportunities to try things. 
lots of opportunities to try things. Um, and we're getting more and more opportunities in our community. Um, we sent out a, a blast this week that Blaine Elementary School is looking for mentors. Uh, they're looking for people to come in and, and tutor and mentor kids. Um, that's an opportunity to, um, to make a difference in our community. Um, we're looking to start more small groups. I mean, there's opportunities to lead and to be a part of a community. Um, if you're more hands-on, we've got a facilities team that's awesome. Right, Brent? It's, it's awesome, right? Okay, good. Yeah, facilities team, they're here 7 a.m., way earlier than I am, every Sunday morning. Um, but we're looking at doing things in our community this summer. Like, what are some projects that we could do this summer uh, in our community? And... Um, you know, we can work in the freedom of grace to try things. And even when we fail, we can give each other the grace of God to keep going. Um, one of my, <coughs> um, if you've been a, around the church for a while, you may remember a musician uh, named Rich Mullins. Anybody remember that name? Yeah. Um, he's a musician from the 90s, a uh, Christian guy. Unfortunately, passed away in a car accident. Um, but he had this song called If I Stand. And I, I really love the first half of the chorus. And so I just want to say this. It's kind of the, the, the picture of, of, um, of what this is. It's, so if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. It's that idea that if we stand, we stand on the promise that God is with us. That he, will, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. But if we fall, we fall onto his grace. So we don't stop trying. We keep going forward knowing that God will be there to pull us through. And God's grace is there to catch us if we fall. You know, when you're paralyzed by your fear, where do you turn? You know, when you're paralyzed like... Turning to God in those moments and just giving that to God is so important. Someone said that Satan loves a frozen church. You know what I mean? Satan loves a frozen church. Satan loves a church that's afraid to try things, that's afraid to take those steps out. He'd, he'd rather have us be ineffective. He'd rather have us be beat down. He'd rather have us be inactive than actually willing to take a step forward in the grace of God in our community. And that step forward might be a step of surrender. Maybe there's something that you've been hanging on to for a long time that you're afraid to let go of, but that's what God is calling you to lay down. And so it's crazy to think that even as Jonah is sitting here and he's railing against God, he's still sitting in God's grace. You know, God didn't wipe him out in that moment. It's like, Jonah, you've had too many chances. That's it, man. Sorry. Um, no, he, God's allowing him to stew. God's allowing him to figure, out, figure it out. He's actually forming Jonah in this moment. And that's what we're going to come to in this next part, is that God's grace uh, isn't just greater than your mess. Uh, God's grace is greater than your grace or your attempt at grace. Um, that God's grace is greater than us trying to uh, muster up um, our own attempts at grace uh, for other people. And sometimes it's hard for us to make that connection between God showing us grace and God showing other people grace. And uh, getting back to this idea that 
that Jonah's here struggling and fuming about the fact that God loves his enemies. Um, I like what Bible teacher Tim Mackey says. He says that there's a dark side to God's grace that sometimes we struggle with. He says we struggle with the scandal of the liberality of God's grace, the fact that God loves your enemy, the, the one who hurt you, um, that God shows grace even to that person. And like Jonah, are there people in your life that you see as unredeemable or unfixable? We all have people who have hurt us and wounded us, but left to ourselves, we don't have the capacity to forgive those people, to, to live in grace. And so we need to fall back into the grace of God. Our attempts fall flat. Um, and so we see God here deal with the lack of grace for the Ninevites. He shows Jonah here in verse 5, like, what's going on in his heart through this really a kind of funny situation. So let's, let's read it in verse 5. It says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he, sh- um, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it may be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort, which is nice. That's really thoughtful of God there. Uh, it's really hot out there. I know we can't really picture that, but, we'll, you know. Um, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. You know, he's cheering up finally. You know, there's finally some light because of this plant. Um, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and so that it withered. Just like God appointed a fish, he also appoints worms. So that's cool. Um, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. So now now the real issue is that Jonah is sunburned right here. He's just not having a good time. And he asked that he might die, and he said, It is better for me to die than to live. Uh, but God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? So first it was, do you, well, do you do well to be angry? And now it's, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do. I do well enough to be angry, angry enough to die. Whoa, man, calm down, okay? Like, let's walk it off. Uh, let's, you know, t- take a time out. Um, but here we see that Jonah goes to the edge of the city, still waiting to see God's judgment fall on Nineveh. And he's still holding out hope that is in his heart that God is going to still, his, his justice will be displayed and he'll destroy the city. But just like God sent this fish to save Jonah's life, uh, he sends this plant to give Jonah some shade, give Jonah some comfort. And this is when we see Jonah show love for the first time in this whole story. It's not for any person. It's not for God. It's for a plant. All right. Um, I have a neighbor who's a botanist, by the way. He might really resonate with this. Um, but he feels love for this plant. And, you know, we could s- look at that and say, man, that's ridiculous. But how many, you know, things in life, how many uh, consumer things do we kind of get obsessed with, you know, that we, we sort of get drawn to? You know, I had a, I had a shirt that I stained last week, and I w- it ruined my day. You know, I was like, I w- it was like my favorite shirt, you know. And, uh, you know, but it's funny how we can get wrapped up into things. We can get wrapped up into cars or phones. 
and, and, and homes, and we can actually start living for those things. The, our comforts can define and dominate our time and energy. And what God is saying, he's, he's sending this little worm to disrupt Jonah's comfort, to take that away. And, um, and, and here's the teaching moment. Here's God's teaching moment with Jonah, the big point, kind of the moral of the story. He says this, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And I love this part. And also, much cattle. (laughs) It's like, God loves cows, people. He really does. That's how the book ends, by the way, on cattle. Um, Yeah, and and God does care about cows, but I did a little bit of research, and basically he's saying cattle was money back in the day. So he's saying this is a great financial center. You know, this is a great influential city. So um, he does care for cows, but there's also some strategy in there as well. Um, But God says, Jonah, look, you fell in love with this plant, (laughs) Like, you, you loved it for the comfort it provided. You loved it because uh, of the shade that you got from it. Um, yet you can refuse to have compassion on an entire race of people. And this is sort of the human condition. He's saying, Jonah, you know, you're in your heart. You're a self-focused consumer. You're not an others-focused follower. That you're, t- you're consumed with the things that please you. you. You have little time for people who are who are uh, on the road to destruction. And he says, you love a plant, but I love 120,000 people in maybe the most influential place in the known world at the time. He says that they don't know their right hand from their left. Like, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know that the way they're going is evil. And it kind of foreshadows Jesus when he's on the cross. And he cries out to the Father for those who are crucifying him father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing and and that's god's grace towards us jesus wants us to know him to to receive that grace and he sees people uh, who are um he doesn't see people we've said this before he doesn't see people as good and bad but as lost and found that they don't know what they're doing and so like jonah god challenges us God challenges us in our attempts at grace. That we would, in his grace, that we would care about others. That we would want to extend that grace to others. And in God's grace, we see two things. We don't think of ourselves as less than anyone. That in God's grace, we are, are capable of great things. That we can move forward in confidence, knowing that God's grace is there to hold us and to keep us. We can stand in his promise. And we don't see others as less than. We don't see others, whether it's individuals in your life or groups of people, we don't see others as less than, but we see them as equally able to be transformed by the grace of God. And so today, this is the closing challenge today. I want to challenge you to let God's grace defeat you. Just like God's grace defeated Jonah, defeated his doubt, defeated um, th- defeated his plans, defeated his hatred. Um, let God's grace defeat you. 
Because in some ways, God's grace didn't defeat Jonah, at least not in this story. It didn't get into his heart. Um, His heart was hard, um, still hard towards others. But I want to challenge you today to let God's grace defeat your mess. Whatever it is that you feel like is too messy for God. Whatever it is that would keep you back from taking a step of faith into something that God would call you to. Let God's grace defeat that mess, to not let that hold you back. And to give whatever that mess is over to God so that he can begin to restore you and work through you. And then also let God's grace defeat your heart towards others. Like if you find yourself being bitter or angry towards someone or a group of people, give that to God. Let God's grace overwhelm that place. It's only when we realize how desperate we are for God that we begin to humble ourselves around others, that those walls of superiority begin to break down because we realize like we're just as much of a sinner as everyone else. And the only difference is that we've been found by the grace of God. And so consider this morning whatever way you feel like you're running from God, whatever way you need God's grace to defeat you, consider what that is. God doesn't want us running into our own personal autonomy. He wants us relying on his grace and trusting him to take those next steps of faith, whatever they may be. Because meaning is found in that place. We can have all the freedom in the world to go out and do whatever we want. We can live in self-rule, but there's really not a lot of meaning out there outside of our own self. We'll find meaning when we live for the grace of God, when we get to see others transformed. That is a worthy cause to live for. And so to allow God's grace to not just shape us, but shape how we view the world, how we see others, that, that the greatest thing we can do is extend that grace to someone else. You know, oftentimes we struggle. We struggle to put limits around God's grace. We say, well, I think this person would respond but I don't think this person would respond. And we kind of shy away from going there in conversation. You know what I'm talking about? Like you have people you work with or are around, and you think this, this is a likely candidate for God's grace, and this isn't. Well, to God, they're all likely candidates. Um, and so let's submit this morning and just agree that God's grace is a better way to live. Not by trying to work harder, not by trying to do all the, all the good things on our own, but just to live each day in the grace of God and agree that his plan is better. His plan for our work life is better. His plan for our home life is better. His plan for our neighbor is better than our plan, even our difficult neighbors, and none of us have those, but if you do, God's plan for them is better. And our path of accepting God's grace is repentance. It's when we hold our hands open before God and we say, God, take it. I turn back to you. I give my whole life to you. And that's where God meets us is when we're willing to respond in repentance. We can also give up our labels. There might be a label that you're holding on to. We talked about different labels. It could be fear or failure that's keeping you from moving forward. Would you give that up to God today? Because it's in the grace of God. He's writing this amazing story where he wants to see you and your neighbor and everyone um, found in his grace. And it's, it's uh, our privilege to be able to extend that. Let's pray. 
Jesus, we are thankful, God, that you didn't leave us alone to struggle on our own, to try to figure life out, but that you reached down in the person of Jesus and showed us the, the way, the truth, and the life. That get, showed us where to find grace. And Lord, I pray this morning that whatever we're struggling with, um, whatever the issue is in our life, whatever um, person we're having a, a problem with, God, that your grace would be present. Lord, may our hearts never become hard, God. We, may we never become bitter, but may they be made soft by your grace. Lord, I pray, God, that if there is a label on us this morning, if there's something that we think of ourselves as or call ourselves, God, that we would be willing to lay that down at the foot of the cross. God, in your grace, would you come and restore us, God, that it's not about our identity, God. We've died to our identity so that we could live to Jesus. And so, God, I pray for us this morning, God, that you would fill this place with your grace, that you would fill this place with your Holy Spirit, <clears throat> that we would be a community that exemplifies the grace of God, that, that just pours it out on others, God, that pours out your love on others, that's others-focused, that's free enough in our hearts to think of others, God. So whatever freedom we need this morning, I pray, God, that you would give it. So, Lord, we thank you, God, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.